welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast where three dungeon masters, we've been doing this for way too long, talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. They keep me warm on cold nights. It must be quite a sight. In our meat triangle... All tangled, wow, my girlfriend's girlfriend, she looks like you, my girlfriend's girlfriend, she's my girl, too. Woo, that was... That was a hard one because it was way below my register. So. That was deep. Who who was that? Shazam was gonna pick it up. I mean, nobody's got it. Nobody's no, got it. Type, typo negative. Typo negative. Typo that negative. My girlfriend's first time. My girlfriend's girlfriend. Yeah, oh, I should have known that actually. <laughs> that is it. That is my first one. That is. I was such a typo fanatic <laughs> as a younger man, and that is the first time they have appeared on our program. Uh, my apologies to Peter Steele, rest in peace, for that terrible rendition. There so you that go. is Dave, our rock and roll DM. And I imagine our uh, audience is really wondering what that could mean for our topic. My girlfriend's girlfriend. Are we talking about bard tricks here and bard shenanigans? Is that what this episode is <laughs> going to be about now? I'm wondering myself. For playing a bard. <laughs> what happens when the bard and the warlock start working together? Is that what we're getting into here? <laughs> So that is not what we're getting into here. The segue, the connection between that song and what we're talking about today is sometimes you have to share players. Yes. I did not think of this as my girlfriend's girlfriend, but what we were thinking of this as is we have several shared universes. Yes, sharing. Sharing is caring. Yes. (laughs) You just got to set the ground rules. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) All right. So, but today what we're talking about is we have several shared universes where you have players playing with multiple DMs. Um, so, for example, the biggest example is the Marvel game. You've heard us talk about that before a few times. And there's three different DMs DMing games in the Marvel universe with two sets of characters, and they're all the DMing the same characters together. That means that one DM needs to be able to live with whatever the other DM gave the party. God help us. And this is happening too. We're also finding this going on in the D and D universe where there's a, where there is crossover between our players where Tony is Erasmus, the wizard who got a wish to become a half, who become essentially a half giant in my, one of my original games. I'm a full storm giant. That's insulting. (laughs) No, he's not full storm giant. You can't be a full storm giant and be 10 feet tall. They're much, much larger. I'm not a half giant. That just that hurts me in my core. Sort of, like that. sort of. That's pretty much what he is. But Erasmus, though, was also in Storm King's Thunder, which is Tony's, perhaps we could say, Monty Hall campaign full of DM boons for the characters and great giant-themed things. Now, he is also in my game, in Woodstock Wanderers, actually simultaneously. And as those, uh, as those boons have begun to come out in Woodstock Wanderers, it's created some issues. So we have a couple of situations here where we have DMs giving, you know, basically sharing player characters, not just players, and the benefits they get from one game, bring it to another game. And how as a DM, if you're sharing universe and sharing characters, how can we balance 
and communicate and, and have characters who fit all the universes and essentially live with what the other DMs have done with the characters that are in the, when they were in their games. Because I know in both games, we have some characters who one DM doesn't mind giving them a bunch of stuff and other DMs find it overpowered. For instance, in the Marvel game, yeah. you know, uh, Chris, Dave's brother, who was the original DM of the Marvel game, he had no problem letting Technocrat, my character, who's like a techno gun nut, basically. He had no problem letting him get a huge cannon. I mean, huge shoot at God kind of cannon. But then we show up in Tony's game and, you know, we Tony's got us up against a bunch of like God level enemies uh, in an arena battle. And I look right at the one who I know is more magical. I write, look right at... Uh, uh, what was his name? The 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 elf, the dark elf lord, Malakath. 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 I look yeah. right at Malakath. I'm like, yeah, he looks he he looks kind of squishy, and I blow him off the map. First turn before he gets to move. <laughs> and that's like a problem. <laughs> I, I think that's great. I mean, I don't see that as an issue at all. That's just kind of how the chips fell. I don't know. I remember you were you were a little bit. You had mentioned it after the after the battle. <laughs> well, I wanted to have the showdown between the dark elf and Dave's character. I think that would have been very thematic. But you know, in a royal rumble like that, eh, you know, it's yeah. Up that's a that that played off very Marvel like though, right? Where you have that one shot just. <laughs> And the guy gets slammed into, you know, the next town over. Usually he comes back, though. Usually Marvel fights, there's a bit more toughness. Taking yeah. taking out their, their caster in round one before he gets to go is a little bit of a meta move. I, actually, it wasn't quite like that. He had a illusionary duplicate of himself, which in the term before got taken out. Okay. And then he was wide open and he, you're like, yoink. And you have super speed, too. So your character yes. basically has a Megatron or a Galvatron cannon on your arm. And <laughs> you had a moment before he could react and you shot him and amazingly he died. But that's been an issue in the game, though. I mean, Technocrat's cannon has you. you well, maybe it's, it's not just Technocrat's cannon. Your character, Torian Tornado is also super powerful. Like a lot of the characters are super powerful in their own way in a way that has challenged. I know I've heard you guys talk about, cause I don't, I don't GM in that universe, but I've heard you guys talk about, okay, how do I challenge these hyper powerful characters? And they're hyper powerful, like technocrats hyper powerful because of what he was given by another DM, you know? So it's like, there's a balance here. It's and it's, it it's, there's a challenge here is really what I should say. When you're sharing characters across a shared universe and we're talking about creating. So we already have some shared characters in D&D, but we're talking about creating a shared Forgotten Realms universe because theoretically, Tony, Dave and Chris are all DMing or have DM'd on the Sword Coast. So yeah. now we're talking about how do we mix those together, maybe share some of those characters. And like like I found with Erasmus, the stuff Erasmus got out of the Tony's game made him like Superman in my game. And we had to, we were, we're toning it down a bit. We got to, we got to remove some of those boons. Um, how do you balance that? You know, how are, how, what do you guys think of how this is playing out and how do you approach it? Right. When you're, you see what I'm saying? If you're going to share, you have to set some ground rules. See? It fits perfectly. I mean, <laughs> I'll stop talking about it. Okay, fine. That sounds like a tight fit from where we're, <laughs> from where we're, where we're standing here. <laughs> so what do you guys think i mean well I, I mean here's the thing though with the marvel game there's a different character philosophy so touring tornado felix was created preposterously powerful mm. i open up the book and i'm like so i could be a demigod and chris is like yes and i'm like are you sure and he's like yes go ahead and i'm like okay and that's how this already got ridiculous to start like with 
Chris has no problem in that. Well, it was always a cosmic campaign, and he had no problem being like, here, sure, yeah, take the big thing. You want to make something even cooler? Go for it. Go shoot God's eye out if you can. Yeah, because we were playing at the like highest levels of that yeah. type of universe in terms of a, as a player character, right? So yeah. So without getting into the, the gritty details of the character construction, he started out juiced, and from a player perspective, when somebody else like your character got something really cool, or Dave got his cloak that gave them a really big boost. I actually felt as a player that that gave the game more investment. Like now as a party, we're grabbing some traction as a DM. I don't understand. Like if there's any cool things out there, I've got to let you play with them or what? Well, it's a fun. Like, Oh, there's that incredible cannon or that incredible cloak that lets you manipulate dark energy. Well, don't use that. Oh my God. No, no. Here's a plus one magic wand and a six shooter. This is what we need to use. That's that's. It's I think the what, fun right out of the room. What, uh, where it comes down to sometimes, though, is um, you don't want to play. And I think where we're kind of getting at, you don't want to be the grandparents to the parents of, you know, the the, the normal DM is the parent. And you as, as a guest DM, if you're coming in and you're sharing Guilty. players, you get to be the grandparents. So you load them up with sugar and you take them to the movies and you take them to the arcade and then you send them home. And they're like, you guys suck. Grandpa is so much cooler than you, you know. Um, so as long as there, I think that there should be a level of, uh, communication, something like the Marvel game is tough with the cosmic campaign because it would be like a D D because Tony said, we don't want to get too into the nitty gritty of it. We don't need to, but we can make a pretty good, um, comparison. So it would be like, if you had a stat array, just a stat, you put them where you want 20, 20, 20, 18, 18, 18, and then you can use all of your, uh, your racial bonuses and class bonuses, and 20 isn't the top. If you happen to pop over into 22 range, go for it. That's where we were playing in the Cosmic campaign. So, um, you know, giving more to that party isn't necessarily as much as I will say, like, for instance, when I did the one-off of the street team, I was trying to bring it really, really far down into the street level of New York. And we started to, once Tony started to kind of take into, um, he would start to work the cosmic team and the street team together in little one shots, which were fun as hell. But then we would have the, the point buys come out and the additional stuff. And it very quickly elevates, uh, your street team, uh, you know, somebody like daredevil to like X-Men or Avengers level on a, on a rocket ship a little bit. And that can, if you're running a long running campaign, that can start to cause problems in the normal flow of the game. I do think we need to clarify a little what we mean by the street team. So mm. after we created the cosmic team, Dave came along and wanted to do a D and wanted to do a campaign in the Marvel universe. That was more the daredevil, you know, Marvel dark kind of level. Yeah. Like just like was, a little one shot to play. Cause it was, it was fun and I didn't want to yeah. play in the cosmic team. Like he already had that handled. So I said, Hey, what if we did a lower level thing, much more gritty. And even that turned into very quickly, a uh, wildly powerful things. Cause that's just the system. You are superheroes. You are playing yeah. superheroes. But it was always, for me, it's not as much of an issue because that was always meant to be kind of just like a little one shot, just as a fun yeah. thing, a fun little aside. Same as the my idea to do like the whole shield James Bond kind of thing. Just as a, hey, let's try this one night and then forget about it. 
I haven't done that one yet. That's another another potential campaign that's in there, potential one shot that's in the, that's in the hopper a bit. Uh-huh. So, but I do feel like I've heard you guys talk about how difficult it was sometimes to challenge that cosmic team because even like the biggest things in the Marvel universe are still pretty much within their wheelhouse. Like like they're coming in as some of the biggest things in the Marvel universe. I mean, and some of that was yeah okay. So so some of it was how it started out, but also like for instance, the Torian Tornado uh, Felix has been given Chris let us take shock whips and basically tape them to both his fist. Yeah. <laughs> You're able to make shock <laughs> balls on top of his power. And then, you know, like I said, and then, like I said, like the big, big gun that Technocrat has, he didn't start with that. That was like something we found in like our second adventure. And I'm like, can I put that on my armor? And Tony's like, eh. And, and when I got to Chris's game, he's like, yeah, here you go. It's on your armor. <laughs> now, you know, it was something we were originally firing from a tank. Now it's something he's firing from his arm. That sort of thing from DM to DM you know, because in some cases I do feel like it's like, well, you, maybe one DM says you can't do it. Then you go to the other DM and they say you can. It's it's less pa- parents to grandparents and more, okay, mom said no, go ask dad. Mom versus dad, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so how do you balance that? Like, how do you respond to that as a DM when you have that coming in and these guys are maybe even more powerful than you meant them to be? And harder to challenge than you thought they were going to be when you were designing your adventure. I think that as DMs, we have a very deep and rich you know, repertoire that we can draw from. And your characters are already pretty preposterous in Marvel, for example. But when I threw out Mephisto, who was impersonating Santa Claus, I guarantee you, you're like, we got this. That's, this, this guy's, this, we were just going to knock him over because you didn't. In that fight, it was the street team and the cosmic team all swarming him. And in like about the third round, the street team was all flat. Like, they were all, like, red-lined, like, you know. I believe specifically because he dropped a bunch of, like, two-ton presents on us or something to that effect. Yeah, they were yeah. opening like, up in cars and boats and trains <laughs> were falling out. Yeah, um, yeah. It was raw, but that that was the kind of uh, scenario I was trying to look at. Like, I wanted to see if some guys did some really creative stuff, they could have stayed alive or really backed off. But if you engaged him with the Cosmic Team, you were probably going to get dropped. But the point is... Monsters can be juiced. I mean, I would just be careful. You don't feel like you're throwing too many monsters. You're creating a sloggy encounter because that's no fun either. And, and just as a, I, what I think will really be the, um, be the mark point for this is when we get back, because what happened is we, we were playing through a trio of classic Marvel modules right now that are that are very cosmically based like you're yeah, supposed and, and they're, to like they're they're top they're epic level they're yeah like the top. the if you were playing the pre-generated marvel characters you'd be playing people like thor and doctor strange and better Ray bill and things like that so it's high level so i'd be interested to see we only completed the first module and then chris had started to play into some of the characters backstories to kind of build them out which was fun we're now going to be going back into the actual module. And I know he was attempting, much like Tony was doing in Storm Kings, to juice us so that we could handle that level of, because we were powerful, but he still wanted to juice us to handle the level of what was probably coming. And uh, I'll be interested to see as we get back into that, if this really does start to even out from that point, like we've seen with some of Tony's one shots. I mean, and that is just for those listening who maybe know the system. So we're playing through Ragnarok and Roll which is a series of three adventures. So I don't know where we're going from here. I've only, we've only, we've gotten through the first one. So I don't know what the second and third one hold, but sounds like they're pretty cool. Also sounds like they are. Yeah. It's Ragnarok. It, 
is, you know, unleashing Surtur. You know, Fenris swallows the moon is what I'm expecting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly how far <laughs> they go into the mythology. Let's find out. You know. Yeah, but it's it's you know things are being uh, the universe is being destroyed. So so that's what we're expecting here, and 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 what we're kind of powering up for with that top level team. Tony's still using the street team. I mean, Tony, we got a we got a game coming up with you where you're using the street team and the and the cosmic team again, right? I want to get into Ragnarok, so our next game, I believe, is going to be core story okay. but that's been fun I, I will say both sets of characters are fun to play one of the things though is at least they've all been together their whole careers so we haven't had to deal with the issue mm. of one character got a bunch of boost from 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 a from a game that was more monty hall and and if, for those of you who are too young to know monty hall used to host a game show where you could take what was found door number one and door number two and one of them had ridiculously expensive prizes behind them so monty hall just giving away ridiculous r- ridiculous amounts of powerful stuff that's Let's what make a deal that was his catch line yeah Let's uh, make, yeah, yeah. to be fair this is before my time too but the the term has survived that's what monty hall means you know for all of you born after 1990 <laughs> you've probably never heard that before so in the in the D game so what we ran into in the woodstock wanderers was like i said i had erasmus and the boons tony had given out in storm king slender were totally fine in storm king slender We've talked about it. His philosophy that you can up people's lower stats and it doesn't make a difference worked out fine in Storm King's Thunder. He threw out everyone got like two extra saving throw proficiencies. Um, we all got ridiculous boost to like our constitution. We got blind fighting. We got hammer fit. We got we got stone giant fists that did like one d eight plus one punch damage. We multiple got multiple skill proficiencies. We got tons skill, of skill proficiencies. That's not even really. That's actually not even really my worry. It could be. <laughs> the attributes and saving throws, and then also you throw in, we also picked up along the way, advantage to saving throws and resistance to mind and fear attacks, like just out of the Halloween game. All great in in, in Tony's game. And then we're in my game, and Erasmus is playing along, and the player character is talking about Art Kang, who you've heard us talk about, the monk, Aarakocra monk, who had really, really been a thorn in the side of the party and Tony's saying yeah but I get a save against that stun and my my, my constitution saves like plus 14 I don't, I'm not even really concerned about it we fight a ancient green dragon he's like yeah but I've got this wrestling boost where now keep in mind Erasmus is 13 levels of straight wizard he has no martial classes whatsoever he is a straight wizard as far as leveling choices are concerned but all the boost out of Storm Kings now I also gave him, coming in, he also already had the giant soul in him. So from my previous campaign, he already came in with this extra storm giant set of abilities, which made him, which gave him, I think, a 24 strength. He got very strong. Uh, It did boost his constitution. It gave him extra lightning bolts or kind of lightning fireballs, essentially. He already had extra stuff coming in because in that other game he had been in, he had had a wish from the deck of many things, and he had wished to be infused with the storm with 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 a storm giant, essentially. So that I already had him overclock compared to the rest of the party. He played it really cool. It wasn't a problem. It just meant he had some extra fireballs. I felt like that was fine. And also the ability to obviously if people get close to him, he's not useless in a fist fight. And then we start getting into, okay, so now I'm gonna try my my level 13 wizard is going to jump on and wrestle this dragon to the ground. <laughs> um, I'm not afraid of our Kang because my defenses are too high for him to possibly stun me. In the rest of the party, and it was like I look at his character sheet, now to the boost he had gotten out of Storm King Thunder, which worked totally well in Storm King Thunder. Well, now we had a giant wizard with 26 constitution and proficiency. 22. Huh? 
22. That was 26 when I looked at your sheet. It might be 22 now. No. On your sheet when I looked at, yes, it was 26. It was oh. ridiculously high. And you had, oh. then you had picked up proficiency in con saves and in deck saves because of Storm King's Thunder stuff. So now you had a 13 levels of wizard who had come out of a game where it worked perfectly fine in that game. But in my game, he basically was Superman. It hadn't come up very much, but now we're starting to see more powerful things and it's starting to come up more. So we had a conversation. We had to kind of reset a lot of this stuff and we're, we're still working on it. I haven't seen the edits you've made, but that became a problem because all of a sudden it's like, you're right. I'm looking at Tony's character sheet. I'm like, oh my God, he's right. Nothing I've put in front of the party. These things that have totally challenged the party. Characters the party are afraid of, he's just going to outmuscle them even though he's got 13 straight wizard levels. Like that's not going to work in that I, game. I have, I have a secret for you. Well, hold on. Cause basically the other thing I want to throw in here is no one else in that game had the possibility to get that stuff. And that was the problem. You know, he, he already came in higher. He got extra, extra, extra higher. And then, you know, we were looking at a, at, at a Superman wizard. I got my ass handed to me the last three games in a row. <laughs> and I mean, handed to me like, sir, here is your ass under this tray. Because that's what you fucking did. That those fucking plants were a literal nightmare. Like when I go to hell and I walk in a garden, those fucking plants will be in there. They ate Adelard. It was terrifying. It was horrible. We go in there and we're like all chewed up. We fought a we fucking fought our way through two games through that lair. We fight those plants of death. We walk into the freaking back room. We're all beat to shit. And there's a Demblich in there with an iron golem and his minions. And I'm like, can I have a Gatorade first? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> that th that was a horribly hard fight. And then that dragon just freaking like grabbed my head, stuffed in the toilet. And he's like, give me your lunch money, nerd. I mean, that was... Oh, yeah. Like, he's going to have, like, a facial tick after those last three games. <laughs> there is some truth to that. However, at the same time, in that dragon fight, this is Ancient Green. So, basically, the Christmas game in Woodstock Wanderers, for, for reference, we did I, – I, I basically teleported them to Christmas Land immediately after the Lich fight. But they got a, they got a full – the benefits of a full rest. And they were – and Santa asked them to go stop the Grinch, who was an Ancient Green Dragon. Because at this point, they had torn through a – adult black dragon or an adult yeah black dragon very 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 quickly and a little bit of what i'm doing is trying to figure out exactly how strong this party is and i found exactly where i think their level is which is ancient green dragon so this yeah, party you, of level 13 you were playing with the dial you were playing with the dial a little bit yeah i think i'm right on the that 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 seemed to be exactly the number cr22 seemed to be exactly where this party is at its thinnest edge like that's that's it. That's that is the deadly encounter for this party. That is the one encounter, and they will be exhausted at the end and taken totally to their limit. Now, the thing is though, like Erasmus's power level, yeah, he's gotten his ass kicked a lot, but the amount is taken to kick his ass is jacking up these other numbers. Because I'm factoring all that in. Like I'm paying attention to what's challenging, what's not challenging. And when I want a hard fight, I'm putting all that in there. And Erasmus is kind of busting the curve. That's the other problem with this. Mm, yeah, no, I mean, uh, that was, it, it, it's been an interesting last three games. I got to tell you. So we're going to calm that down. Yeah, I'm not going to. If you want to pull my stats back, back. We're gonna and we're going to relax those, those encounters so they're not like 
the hells opened up and nine <laughs> doomsdays come out okay i think that's a fair and equitable trade it will depend on where you go because the party right now and i haven't even asked the party what you guys want to do next i know what tony wants to, i know what erasmus wants to do next i know what sir morton wants to do next they're at odds with each other what the party chooses next will have a big impact on what happens next but you guys may be going to a town you know, if you go to a town, we're going to have some social encounters. I'm sure there'll be some dangers there. There'll be things to find out, secrets to learn, et cetera. I don't think you'll be fighting ancient ancient green dragons in the town. I wasn't planning to have the ancient red dragon show up and attack Muscovy just because you showed up there. You know, I didn't think that was going to be necessary. Mm, I, I think we could use we could use a cool off. We could use we we could use some cool off encounters um, as far as what else you guys want to do. But it's in it's in your court. But I mean, yeah, the, but the issue, that, but I mean, to get back to the issue we're talking about here, you know, that was a case of, you know, I'm looking down, I'm like, okay, my level 13 wizard, who I know I've beefed up due to a wish, which he totally earned in my game, when he was a DMPC in the DMs, in, in that player's own game, wound up coming out with some ridiculous power boost that were impacting my game. And that was, you know, it was something where I couldn't just say, okay, we can roll with this. I don't feel like I could. I can't have the straight level 13 wizard a vocation wizard, not like he's a blade singer, also be the toughest tank in the party just because of DM boons. And that was so that's kind of what we're talking about. That's a place where I think it went, even though it worked really well in your game, when we're talking shared universe in this way, it didn't work for me. And we got to figure out, like, I mean, so how do you handle that? What, what, hey, here's my question, Tony. What do you think I should have done? Well, my wrestling move didn't work on the dragon. I've got to just throw that out there. So the dragon was sound, colossal. You thought it was kind, huge. That's true. It kind of sounded cool. I'm like, I'm on your ring. I'm going to take you down. He's like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm taking you down. He's like, nah, bro. Turn around and he bit me on the face. And you're like holding onto his wrist. Well, you actually, yeah. you actually got the grapple on him, but I work wrestling different than Dave. You got to advance your grapple with the next round to go to a restraint, and then you would have dropped him. But you got the first one. You did say successfully before, wrestle a gargantuan ancient green dragon. Before I got the 63 stitches from his bite. Um, yes. That that battle just reminded me of watching a football game where every route was getting blown. Like, the quarterback, he throws a fast shuttle pass. Oh, slap down. Oh, like, it was it was tough. Some of that us was, did just watch the Eagles lose to the Buccaneers, and that sounds very similar. Yeah, it was, it was very... That was a moment of true desperation. I'm like, this guy's not going to blow a save. I can't ground him. My rogue can't connect with him. My tanks can't contain him. The healer's gasping for life. The sorceress is down. I mean, it was... It was you lost your tough. healing staff. Yeah, his healing staff exploded. Merry Christmas, to, asshole. To be, <laughs> fair, <laughs> to, be, to, to be fair, it was a Christmas game, and I gave you your Christmas presents before you went in. You did, you did. At level 13, those Christmas presents included a Holy Avenger, a Rod of Lordly Might. You got the ball of true, of, of true seeing, uh, crystal ball of true seeing. I thought it was the Spirit uh, of Justice. <laughs> I don't the crystal ball. Okay. We, I actually have talked to Adelard. I gave Adelard the cubic gate, but we started talking about offensive capabilities of that and looking deeply at it. And I asked him to, we're backing that off a little bit. It still does the gate. It doesn't do the plane shift. Apparently, it also would have had basically three banishments a day built into it, which, if you listen to our last episode, is not what I intended to give him, nor would I want to give him that. Yeah, you can use you can use the gate and, gate and plane shift that are built into the cubic gate. Literally, can be used to straight banish something. Oh, like no an unwilling creature. No charisma proficiency. Yeah, sucker. Well, Goodbye. They're level seven and level nine spells. There is no concentration on it. You simply send them to another plane. They got to find their own way back. 
<laughs> so yeah so we talk i'm like all right yeah we, we this is not going to work quite that way i wanted to give you guys a travel ability i didn't want to give you necessarily tactical banishments that you know the oh, the banishments. army is riding towards you and you open a gate and they all fall through the gate and whoop i guess they're in, they're in the elemental plane of fire now good luck guys <laughs> by the city of brass hope you packed a lot of water yeah <laughs> Which spell is that? Because, I mean, Banishment's a fourth-level abjuration. No, and that's part spell. of the problem with Banishment. It happens way too early. Gate happens at level 7, and Gate does have some offensive capabilities. I know, Gate's level 9. There's, well, there's Gate's Arcane level Gate, nine. and yeah, there's ninth level Gate here. And then there's also, it also has built into it Plane Shift, which is level 7. 7, yeah. And, that's, and that lets you just take everyone around you. There's not a Gate involved. You just take everyone and whoop, you just zoop them out. So yeah, so so I gave the party the cubic gate. We also got a scarab of protection and a um, hammer of thunderbolts. Ham, oh yeah, hammer of thunderbolts, along with the belt and the gloves to use it. So we didn't get that wasn't actually. Santa's packing. Yeah, he rolled no, up and he's like in his limo, his gold rings, and he's like, here you go, bitches. Santa brought the good stuff, and then you fought an ancient green dragon. So let's put that in there, just to be fair. I did jack you all with legendary items for Christmas and then put you in against this ancient green dragon. So that's, 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 I think part of the context here. But I think some of that is one, it was not like a one shot thing. Like I know Tony is thinking about doing like an all-star one shot with some of the D and D characters, Coming people soon. like Roderick and things like that. That's a little different. <clears throat> and you can have those big swings of power and, you know, deal with it. I think part of this is this is a long-running campaign, and this is a campaign that is not really been homebrewed a lot. It is much more by the book, raw. And as we were talking about last episode, someone like Roderick, you could not customize your bard out of any book and supplement to create what Roderick can do. And that's not even including the magical gear that he holds, too, like the, the very unique item that Tony created, as we've talked about, the Scholar's Loot of Secrets, that gives a wild amount of power, which was awesome. But if I bring that into another game, there's not necessarily a way for a, another DM to gauge that uh, comparative to the rest of the party. So I'm not, so this is, I have one player. I have one character. We're working on it. Me and Tony talked about it. I do feel like Tony was a little disappointed in it, and I understand that, because from one point of view, the character did work for all that stuff. And I get that. Like, I totally understand that. Yeah, but I built this character and he got these boons and he earned them and I want to keep them. And I understand that. Unfortunately, unfortunately I'm just like, I, it's just too far. It was just between the between what he came in with that was already extra and all this stuff. It's just like, I just, he's got like 12 plus on four of his saves. I can't do it. Like, I can't balance that with the rest of the party. I got another that's, secret that's for you. But I think it's where we are. What's that? Another secret. I got another secret. I'm going to reveal it right now. When I finish your campaign, I'm putting it all back in. It's fine. You should. You should put it all back in for the uh, for the All-Star campaign. I feel bad I have to make you take it away, but my campaign is just balanced differently, which is what brings us. Okay, so, but my campaign, other than Erasmus, is kind of alone. So I only have to deal with this with one character. He's a DM. We've come to an understanding. It'll be fine. How Do you guys anticipate a problem with this as you start, if you start doing shared universes in the Forgotten Realms? Uh, for me, not really. And I say that because my goal, as I talked about with the shared universe, is I really want to play on the NPC side of things with a lot of these characters. 
So a lot of the NPCs or some of the NPCs that like <laughs> showed up in Storm King's Thunder, I plan on showing up in the Strahd game to create those to <laughs> to create those interlocking, you know, moving parts there, but not necessarily in a player way where the players are showing up um, outside of some like like Tony's doing some special event thing. But the campaign that's running is the campaign that's running and those players are there. No one's bringing in necessarily a character um, like Tony was looking for the game with Erasmus. And he said, well, come on over to Woodstock. No, cool. Awesome. And then we also started playing like Storm Kings with it, too. So it became a little bit um, difficult, I think. But that's what's funny, too, with this specifically, because you both you both said it where Erasmus is wildly stacked. Right. When you look at his stats in terms of a level 13 wizard, you're like, holy crap. But it hadn't really come up until recently. Like, it wasn't even necessary. It was like a footnote almost. And Tony has made this point. He's like, yeah, I have a 24 strength, but I'm lobbing fireballs because I'm not getting a, He's He doesn't have extra attack. He doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have proficiency with those that we know of, right? Mm-hmm. So he's not even utilizing those things. Are they there? Yeah. And they started to come forward because he was scraping the bottom of the barrel. But that's what's so interesting, too, is that he's so wildly powerful, but it didn't come up. Where I think someone like if I brought Roderick into uh, Woodstock, it would show quicker because they were all things based off what I do specifically as a bard, you know? Well, I mean, the stuff Tony got is also one of the things that I think in Storm King's Thunder, like one of the subtexts was Tony was sort of building. He had, he really had a thing with giants and he did sort of build Erasmus into the perfect giant he wanted him to be. So right, that kind of, right. <laughs> I feel like there was a little bit of that going on there too. Cause it, is that fair, Tony? Um, The perfect giant. Well, actually, no, the story's still in progress. Mm. And honestly, um, he, we could have ended the story where he stayed in um, the maelstrom, but, you know, he's still on the road. So uh, the quest continues. Yeah. And honestly, and this is one of kind of the real mysteries of power. You want to get as a DM, I love to give power out. Like someone says, I want some power to do something. And I'm like, OK, let, let, let's run with this. But I have to have room for you not to feel like you're topped out, because when you're topped out, when you have nothing that can challenge you or you have nothing to aspire to, then that's when we've painted ourselves into a corner. And something not just that you're topped out so you get bored with it, but also you're not so over overly powered compared to your fellow adventurers. We've talked about that a lot, too, where people, you know, you start giving out magic items. That's awesome. But what about the guy over there? He's got, uh, you know, a drift globe, you know, and this guy over I here has, my a, drift globe. Has, a, has a vorpal sword. It is an underrated you know? magic item. I like just thrown out there as the rock of magic items. It is pretty good. <laughs> oh, no, drift globes are awesome. Drift globes are like a, a first couple levels magic item, though, that are really awesome and useful. You, but you see, you know what I mean, though? Like there's the, the signature unique items. And if there's too much of that, that imbalance in the party could create some issues as well. And not just in the game, but like amongst the players even. That, that's very true. And if anybody were to have a, an advantage in that respect or to aspire to one, if that person were to be a good player themselves, I would hope that they'd want to have everybody get their hands on it because that's where the real fun 
is because you yeah. know it is it it is really I mean like that's how that's what makes a team work. And that's kind of like and that was sort of the tricky thing with the or why this came up with Erasmus wasn't so much because of just what Erasmus had, but because of what it like one the way it felt kind of like well he was a better tank than our barbarian and paladin. All right, I gotta call you like, out on that because you see I would attack me every time. I mean, that's very important. Like, there's a giant, and then there's a halfling. Who are you going after? Giant or the halfling? Who's more threatening? You may underestimate the halfling incorrectly, but I would go after the giant. I'm trying not to single you out for being the giant. I'm trying to treat you like every other wizard. Exactly. You know, I mean, because you know, they're, they're there for tanking. That's what they're there for. They should be taking the big brunt of the physical attacks. When you get a clean out of house, you, I mean, we're going to start with the sleeper sofa. you got to move that out first. You're not going to like start taking the couch cushion. And to be fair, I feel like I attacked the back line, you and Adelar. Well, Adelar's not only really back line, but I feel like I attacked the guys in the back pretty frequently. So I try not to overdo it. Well, you know, yeah, I'm just trying to, yeah, that's just the way I see things. It's 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 just a different way we kind of see the battle problem when we come into it. I'm coming with a different set of a different set of things I feel like they should the enemy should be doing. I mean, I usually have reasons for whatever I'm doing. I'm I'm yeah, just this the way I approach a battle is very much, you know, okay, they're gonna do this because of this. So it's not it's not random. So there was that, but also like I'm like, okay, so say that I wanna okay, so say I wanna challenge all these resistant, tough, high hit point characters, I'll attack their minds. Oh, except look at that. There's that there because yeah, no one else really has like metal defenses, particularly like like boons or anything. Except then that's also on, on Erasmus's character sheet. So it's like things that Tony threw out there because they weren't really impacting his game were suddenly really kind of affecting, okay, well, where do I go? Which like I wanted to play with this. You know, there's things coming up that might that might hit here. But I'm not planning on anyone having resistance to these things because I didn't give anyone resistance to these things. So, like, it can kind of shut down corridors I want to go down. And that's the other tricky thing with it. And it's and you don't know that as a player or someone else because you don't know what I'm thinking. Just like, you know, it wasn't an issue in your game, but it could be an issue in my game. Like, you don't want to have a horror game. If you're going to do a psychological horror game, say you wanted to do Call of Cthulhu in 5e, you don't want to give anyone mental defenses because it makes it not dangerous. You know what I mean? Now, we're not doing Call of Cthulhu in 5e. Don't worry. You're not going to start going, probably not going to start going insane. Mm. But like, like that's, that's like the kind of thing I'm like, okay, yeah, that's great on this sheet in that game. But well, what if I want to use this? You know, now I have, now once again, I have a character who is like Superman against it. I don't know. So are we not, am I the only one playing with a character in someone else's game then in the D and D side? Are you guys going to, I mean, Tony's going to do the all-star game. Is that all your own characters, Tony? Or your characters from your own game? I don't want to spoil what's in the soup of this game because I've given it a lot of thought based on who I believe the ca- mm-hmm. the players are going to pick. But really the purpose of that is I want to sort of grab all these characters, perhaps they'd like to play or don't have a lot of opportunities to play or haven't played in eons, throw them out there and let's do this collaborative like Doctor Who-esque adventure where like mm-hmm. all the doctors meet and like, all right, we have a problem to solve. Now the thing is though, some of these characters are in live campaigns. And what if I give them a reward now? Will that DM find that imbalancing? Well, possibly. And honestly, looking back on this, like when Dave and I were both starting, I was starting Storm Kings. Mm. I mean, Woodstock was in progress. And you were starting Ravenloft. I wish like I had the foresight to say, hey, if we ever do a collaborative gaming where our characters are going to bounce in and out of worlds, like where where should our like our boundaries be in terms of magic and homebrew? Yeah, because that's one of the things because I think if you were talking about uh, older editions, um, things that were a little more liberal with that, 
uh, it would be easier to bring people table to table. When you're dealing with something like 5e, and we've talked about this, it's very, it's trying to be as balanced as it can. So when they do magic items or they do feats or they do boons or bonuses, they're doing very specific things to them. We've talked about this where sometimes it's, we talked about it last episode where you want to try to customize a character. And in essence, all you're getting is a fireball that does radiant damage. And this one gets a fireball that does fire damage. And this one has a fireball that does psychic damage. And it's the same mechanic, but for a good reason. Because what it means is that I know where the per, I know where the walls are in the game room in a way where homebrewed magic items, magic items that don't exist in the world, start to push into those walls. And I think that's where it can get very funny. And that's what we're seeing is that you could not. And I said this before, you can't build Erasmus or Roderick or Mina or Zhang out of the yeah. books. And that's awesome. But. It does, if you are attempting to run within the parameters of 5e, is absolutely going to hit into the wall at times, as we're seeing. To be fair, we also had this problem in 2e. <laughs> yeah. If you're going, if you're bringing character campaign to campaign, because you had some campaigns that had like the world's, like one of the players was a weaponsmith creating batshit crazy oh. weapons, <laughs> like the crawl spinner with long, with like Vorpal long swords for each blade. I mean, like some of the elves were allowing crazy shit, which was fun and great. It was a fun campaign, but it's like, okay, then a player wants to bring it into your game or into like an all-star game. And it's like, like yeah, what? but that thing, that's <laughs> got to stay home. <laughs> that's like on his wall somewhere. He didn't bring, he didn't bring the, uh, he, 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 he didn't, he didn't bring the, the glaive made of Vorpal swords with him on this adventure. Oh my Lord. Oh my Lord. Oh, for one night, that sounds fun. I'd let it go. <laughs> one night, absolutely. One night's our thing. But that is yeah. a good question, uh, Tony, for instance, like with the one shot, like if people in the Strahd campaign came in and they were gifted things that were, you know, wildly more powerful than what is available or what has been available. Yeah, that probably would start to create issue in the running campaign, because now there's four or five other people who are behind the starting line in that way. And it hasn't, and it like, for instance, uh, Tony has come to me about Hawk and his character and wanting to uh, attempt to craft a sword. He wants to try to find someone to craft a sword, take the swords that he has and, and, and remake them. Right. And it's awesome. But that is going to be within the narrative of the running campaign, totally different than somebody like like, Tony, you said the one time your wizard or whatever went into the broom closet, came back out, he was a ranger. And everybody was like, whoa, who's this guy, you know? So if somebody, like, they just, like, take a real quick break, head into town, and they come back, and they've got this flaming sword, and you're like, what What the fuck happened? What's in town, dude? <laughs> Where did you go, you know? So. Yeah, that was a joke from Puffin's Forest where the, like the someone came to him and he's like, yeah, I don't want to be a mage anymore. I want to be um, a sword mage. And he was playing in that campaign and something happened where like the guy fell down in a chute and like they found him on the next level and he was a sword mage and had a sword. And they're like, what? <laughs> like you, they, you went down this tube and you changed character classes. All right. Are you guys like, I mean, so you, so is there any conversation going on along those lines as far as like how you balance it or like? Like Tony, you mentioned that okay, now you're a little worried. Now you're a little worried about if you give away these boons and other people and they go to other people's games, what happens? How are you going to approach that? Well, that's gonna be kind of like 
a I have two approaches. First, it, well, see, the problem is also Dave's playing in my game. And I want to be like, hey, my <laughs> ultimate reward doing. is that. Because that's kind of, um, how can I say that? That's dramatically anticlimactic. I want to be like you to go, oh, wow, I found this thing. Because that's part of the fun for me as a DM, honestly. Yeah. It's like it's like literally like gift giving. So one of my answers to this is either he should say, we, we should either, I want to say roll it back. I, my pitch is I'm going to make it available to the whole group. I'm kicking that around. So, like, honestly, like, if Dave did something in my game, like, say, like, little one came to my all-star game. Let's just say just she did. And she got something really cool. Perhaps she could bring that back with her that everybody in the group could share. That's my short answer. I'm trying to say this in as much general terms as possible without spoiling it and saying, what's your shake in no, the box within it? But I think that that's fun. I think that that's, uh, that's doable. Um, and it kind of depends on what the things are. Uh, but I think it's also feasible that if somebody goes and plays in a one shot because it's super fun and it's going to be super fun there. I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with saying that's awesome, but we're going to just, you know, that's going to be in a different area right now. You left that at home right now. You don't necessarily have it with you right now type of thing. That is one way to approach it. You can make all the you can make all those kinds of bonus rewards and make a point of making them modular. Like for most of the things Tony gave us in Woodstock, and I'm sorry, <laughs> in my game now, but in Storm King's Thunder, I put them in the um, one of the sections on the character sheet where I put all my powers and like my racial abilities. And it's a simple matter of kind of I can just pull that off of the sheet in another game, you know, because I mean, like, for instance, Erasmus has character sheets in two games. You know, not everything on the one character sheet needs to make the other character sheet, but you could have a master character sheet. And it's different, too, when it's intersecting with a game that's currently going on versus when they go into a game that is new. You know, because I think it's one thing I think it's, you know, if you're going on, if you're the DM playing your game and Tony's giving them boons and you're like, well, that doesn't really fit what I want my game to do right now. That's fine. But if you're going to pick up that character for an all star game later, well, then that boon should probably be there. Like you were saying, Tony, like Erasmus is going to get these boons back outside of Woodstock Wanderers. That's fair. You know, then at least the DM knows going in what you're bringing into the game. And it's not kind of happening simultaneously where you can't really respond to it and, and adjust or even veto it if you don't want to adjust. Because I do say, like, the Woodstock Wanderer power level, I'm giving them cool stuff. I am not really set up. Like, like I like my players to have to work a little harder. I'm not giving away the kinds of boons Tony's giving away. Unless you're sacrificing souls to God and Othwa, then you get even bigger boons. <laughs> For a yes, sacrifice. Man. That's the tension in the game. That tension isn't there if you can get a, a 26 con from another game. <laughs> you know, there's a way to get though. these things in my game. It is a tension point. You know, it's do you are you do you want to sacrifice souls to God and Othwa or not? If you do, there is phenomenal cosmic power you can get. That's what my game was missing. Human sacrifice. Why did I miss that angle? Ah, one <laughs> opportunity. To be fair, it's not just human sacrifice. You've benefited from vampire sacrifice, dragon sacrifice. There's a lot of kinds of sacrifice that have worked out for you guys. The Demulus got sacrificed. Like, that's the whole shtick. It's intelligent creature sacrifice. So the more sentient and uh, self-aware the being is, the greater the reward. Hmm. Yes. The, the way it works, and for those of you at home, so, so I have a list of powers that are unlocked at levels. But what you gain is when you sacrifice a creature, it's the experience point value of that creature times... 10% per intelligence point. So if they have an intelligence of one, you only get 10% of their XP. 
If they have an intelligence of 10, you get all of it. If they have an intelligence of 20, like the Demi-Lich did, you get double their XP. And these unlock various levels of powers from, from, this, from this great old one. But the other side is you need to keep sacrificing because the sacrifices only last for so many days. Yeah, yours are, uh, I was just about to say, yours are a timed are timed thing. So that, that's like, a, you know, that, those are consumables. You know, they, extent, they're gone. You know. It, they can last longer than you think. Because, for example, at the level the, uh, that, that Ojin is currently at, uh, her boons last for five time, five days for each sacrifice she made up to a total of five. So she sacrifices five creatures, she gets their points added on, and then the current boon, so she gets to the current boon level, but the boon's only act, the boon is then active for 25 days. So she has 25 days to sacrifice someone else and extend it. Like, it is, it can be permanent, and for the people you're fighting, it kind of is. They're, but that's also why they're, act, that's why they've been so proactively looking at sacrifices. That's what's going on in the game. Like, so there is that way to get power in my game, but I don't want competing ways to that because it makes that tension point less tempting. The temptation of that needs to be strong enough to make people really wonder, do I want to do this or not? No, I, I, and if uh, if a player like that, like like Ojin, came into another game, you know, you would have to at least know the parameters of what that is to know what you're playing with. And I think that's a big part of this is not necessarily that the player can't have the cool crap that they have. I mean, if you are playing with Drist, you're going to have the two swords, you're going to have Guinevere, right? You're going to have these things. But you... As long as it's a known quantity, and I think uh, what happened here with the little tension point between with with Erasmus in the last couple of games was that you hadn't necessarily remembered all of the boons that we had gotten because Storm Kings we wrapped up last year. You know, it's well, been a while, and it I, hasn't necessarily come up in game in a way that was you know as noticeable, like we said, because even when he had all this stuff. You didn't really notice other than he was a big giant guy. Outside of that, he was playing like a wizard for the most part. We had a miscommunication. I thought I told him he couldn't bring his lightning bolt or his boons, and he thought I just said he can't bring a lightning bolt. So that's where this came from. It's not that I wasn't aware of all the boons. I thought I'd said don't bring the boons into the, into Woodstock Wanderers. Oh, miscommunication. I think I said that. He doesn't remember it that way. It's a miscommunication. I understand. I got I lo- miscommunication, I, end quote. <laughs> I lost a couple levels in the exchange. Uh, I lost my end of the game power. I didn't know you should be the same level as everyone in the Woodstock Wanderers. I was higher. 13, everyone's 13, right? Right, but I was higher level than uh, everybody when I started. So we peeled those levels back. Okay. Um, I took away his ability, the power I got from the Storm King, where I actually could turn into a Storm Giant. That's gone. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, so, we got we, we to gotta lose that ridiculous constitution. Well, well, I'll take a look at it. I'll take a look at what Wait, literally, doing. like, turn into a, like, a, like, almost like you're polymorphing into a storm giant? That I think you was, did that, like, the last game or something. That was the, that was the end. That's it wrapped up. That was your, oh, wow. That was the, that was his ending. And then they're like, no, you're not retiring. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to take this power and shove it in a closet. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't say, no, you're not retiring. We, you were already in this other game. Did and, you want to retire him from this game and play a new character? And, I, I wouldn't mind. Erasmus gets in his Kia and he drives down the road. You know, this giant I mean, I, man is tired. <laughs> don't you want to go find out what happened to his former party when they were going to explore the haunted castle? Well, I mean, I can teleport now, so I feel contractually obligated to. And I feel contractually obligated to teleport my friends around and make them complain about it as they land in strange places. But <laughs> There you go. That's how yeah, you got to stop. Yeah, teleport is pretty, uh, pretty fun. 
that's how, that's how you're gonna that's how you're gonna solve the what are we doing next problem. You're just like, okay, yeah, we're gonna go to the Malbion. Sure, teleport. Oh, this isn't the Malbion's uh, mountain. Hold on, let's check out this castle. As long as we're, we're technically here. closer. I mean, <laughs> yes, we're, we're here already. We're here already. <laughs> I want to say, like, I think one of the challenges also would be, like, first of all, if you've got characters that are jumping, like, if you have characters meshing, then the question is, like, what is the level variation that's okay? And my short answer is really only one or two levels normally for any extent of play. If you're doing a one shot, eh, it doesn't really matter. However, if you're doing a more skills based game, then that's okay. Then you've got more room to work. I'm talking really in terms of combat. One or two character levels variation for combat. But if you guys are doing skill challenges and you're solving puzzles with, God forbid, your mind, eh, you got more room to work. I, I will won. say I've seen it create some difficulty uh, at times. I remember with Bonnie's family's game we were playing and uh, there were multiple people kind of rotating out in the DM chair, uh, but it was a wildly homebrewed campaign, like to the point where some of the stuff was just like, it was outlandish. Monty Hall would be, would be shamed by some of the things that were given out. <laughs> and uh, I remember when Chris joined, uh, he came in and he came in at an appropriate level and I think, you know, uh, the DM had said, you know, take a magic item because of the level you're at. You should have one by this point in your travels, blah, blah, blah. And when he started rolling into the into the game with us, he was blown away because we were getting these massive rolls because we were playing with such massively powerful stuff and massively powerful stats. And he was like, what the hell's going on here? Like, I'm not doing anything here. I can't even hit something with my crossbow. And you guys are getting like, you know, plus 15s on rolls and things like this. Uh, so it can create some of that, like I was saying with the players themselves, where they're like, hey, man, like, what about, what about me? <laughs> you want me to just sit back while you take uh, take the lead here? I've had that in some games, too, where I've come in and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, you're playing around. the, You, know, you get into the combat and you're like, okay, yeah, I got like, you know. I roll, you know, I, I get my, like, my plus five, plus six, and the guy next to you is like, okay, I make my roll, it's an eight, plus 15, I hit an armor class 23. And you're like, what, 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 what? What am I here to be? Am I here to carry your jock strap? What's on your ballet? Like, you know, you're, <laughs> you know, I hold your polish, your sword, sir? You know? <laughs> Some I mean, DMs you change your class, squire. <laughs> some, some DMs firmly believe in that, uh, where they want you, if you're an outside from the outside of the campaign character, to establish yourself. Mm. I feel like that needs to be handled very carefully and discussed up front. So you know, if that's kind of the feel, and maybe a, a character wants to do that, they want to come from the outside and start at the, the ground floor. Like, personally, and this may surprise you, Dave, but I have said this many times, when I have an opportunity to make a character, level one, I don't want to hear anything else besides level one. Don't offer me two or three or five. I'm not interested. I want Even if it's one. a level 10 party? I probably wouldn't. I'm not interested in jumping in that campaign at that point unless I got somebody else. Huh. Not, you mean, like, another character that's that's uh, close in power? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Really? No, no. I really am yeah, not a fan of the pre-gen. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not a pre-gen. You build it yourself, but I get, like, and I Tony, you've mentioned that before. Like, that's something you really you really want to play that character up from level one and get the sense of who that is throughout the whole their whole campaign career, right? 100%. Yeah. For me, I don't mind at all coming in at a, at a set level. And, like, especially, like, it, it, for a one-shot or whatever. Like, so, for instance, when, when Scott brought an Adelar, when he, when he retired Erasmus, or not Erasmus, when he retired uh, Hasbin and brought an Adelar, the bard, mm-hmm. 
I brought him in at the party level. I gave him a one uh, powerful magical item that I picked that I felt like was on par with the powerful magical items the party had. And I think I let him pick two items of his own of his choice of like up to uncommon, you know? So, so I set the, I set the, the bar of, okay, you can't go above this, but I let him pick two magic items and I gave him a good, I gave him a, a one of the magic, one of the um, named loops. That was, I think a rare magic item at that point. So like I see for my game, I see level as something the whole party is at. I'm bringing every, and so if someone comes in, they're coming in at that level because I don't really see it as a specific individual thing. I see it as the party is this level, and I want them to come in on a par power-wise with everyone else in the party because I, I don't want anyone to feel alienated. I want everyone to feel like they're they're there and they're they're fully a part of the party, and you know they have the same chance to contribute as everyone else. That's how I see it. And isn't it right there? You can see like, so we're talking here about, okay, so how do you balance these things between campaigns? The way I see it and the way Tony sees it are really pretty different. I don't know, Dave, how you see it. What do you think? No, if someone is coming into an established game of mine, I'm going to talk to them about bringing them in at the level that the party is. Um, And if they don't like, for instance, uh, a player like Tony, if he's not into that and he wants to wait for another game to start, uh, very cool. I actually, um, when Luke had heard the, I randomly mentioned that I would love to run like a Planescape adventure. Um, he texted me privately and he was like, oh, dude, I would love to, if you ever run Planescape, call me up. I want to get in on this. I was like, all right, cool. I was like, to tell you the truth, the Strahd group is about to jump out into the wider world. Not quite Planescape, but, you know similar in ways there are certain <laughs> there are certain doors that lead to certain areas right as we've mm. already started to to discover they walked through uh an area and, be, and they're in the fey wild now but i think that when i was like so if you want you can come in as a as a player there or even want to play one of the npcs as a recurring person he was like oh maybe but and i think some of it might have been like what tony was saying where he wants to start from he wants to know who this character is. He wants to start from one and move up for it and not necessarily come in at level 12, you know, okay, build me a level 12 druid or whatever. How, how, have, how developed were Zhang and Roderick's characters by level 10? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know what though? I mean, I kind of feel like he was the character I brought him in as, you know, it's not that he didn't change. He had, he, he had, he had character development, but like I could have brought him in at level three, 10, 15, 20. I think it'd be the same, same with Bixie. 34. Bixie the Boom Goblin. Because that personality is what I was bringing him in as. What was that? I said 34, you know. Yeah, well, 34, hike, whatever, Omaha. Uh, <laughs> hot route, hot route. No, but, uh, that's interesting because, Tony, I would agree with you. I actually like the idea of starting from base as well. Uh I, I don't think I would not join a campaign that was running already at a certain level and build a person in. But yes, I I definitely enjoy seeing how the character because my characters definitely do develop. They start somewhere, but they do oftentimes take interesting side roads um, where, yeah, Thorin, both of your characters that I've seen so far um, for a length of time. Uh, Hannibal, uh, you know, we only saw for about five levels, but for so bring him back. Really, for, um, one of my favorite for characters. Zhang, uh, absolutely. Zhang was who he was at level one and level 12. He just had a lot more gear and ability at level 12. But he was the same. 
you know, that was the the person that he was. And you played that uh, the whole time. And I can see the same thing with Bixie. I don't see Bixie, you know, going on this quest and all of a sudden finding himself and turning into something else, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe it could happen. But, like, I don't know. I mean, those kind of – I tend to come in with a, a – a, I feel like a strong character concept I want to play. You know what I mean? And – I mean, I'm open to to having that character evolve, but I'm actually making my decisions based on who they are. So I guess I kind of, you know, Zhang, I mean, technically Zhang did evolve. He was going to be a samurai and he decided to be a battle master instead because the way he was playing. So he did actually make a change yeah, early yeah. on in the game, going from someone who was more going to be a, a one-on-one sword fighter to someone who was more tactically focused. There was a, there was a whole thing about it. I want to follow the path of Masashi or the path of, uh, or, or the path of Sun Tzu and, you know, yeah. thinking about it. So that, that made a difference as far as how he could, how he thought about things and how I played him. But, you know, you would need to have something else that happens to them along the way. And for the most part, I don't, yeah, I it doesn't happen very often in the games. Like, you know, I could see Bixie changing. Uh, Bixie likes the pseudo dragon we just found. He has some cool, like, he, he kind of wants to befriend, befriend it. I mean, does that change him, whether he befriends the pseudo dragon or not? I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, but he's 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 taken with it. He's taken with it as a pet. He wants to he wants to make it a real dragon. He wants he wants to he, he kind of sees the fact that it can't breathe fire as like a handicap, and he wants to give it the ability to breathe. <laughs> oh, fire, you know, like, <laughs> that's the way Bixie thinks. You know, I don't know if uh, Agma, who's also kind of like Bixie, where these are we have so many characters now that I'm starting to play with characters who have not just flaws but mental tics and maybe little bits of mental kind of they're on the spectrum like things that are a little bit different about them a little special about yeah, them you know? yeah. so like does agma tony agma basically conjures cheeseburgers which he is technically stealing from a nearby mcdonald's and whenever he's nervous he offers everyone cheeseburgers it's his tick you know or he offers everyone a pizza like that's his tick but he is technically stealing them and like santa brought up agma stop stealing agma cannot process that he yeah, is stealing i was if i ever ran another uh another game with the street team was i was gonna have the like the newspapers and stuff and the radio talking about the rash of uh you know cheeseburger thefts and all the mcdonald's in the surrounding uh borough and stuff please yeah. you know how many cheeseburgers are in with single you know how many cheeseburgers mcdonald's sells in the day you can give away 50 <laughs> cheeseburgers and no mcdonald's would notice <laughs> but yeah i was gonna play into that a little bit i think it'd be fun you should, i mean i think we should come back to it aqua is a fun character he he is one who has room to change. It's just I guess it just kind of plays out in, in the moment of how is his character changing. Now I feel like we're really off topic. But. I think it is important to discuss when we, you have, for example, you're in the same campaign. So we have the same campaign, different DMs. There's a lot going on with the style shift as well, because really, like you can go from even if you're, I mean, you're not we're not continuing the same module, and the players really have to dramatically in a lot of cases shift gears because. Um, whether you're more encounter-focused, more story-focused, how, how you're laying the module out. Is it like a really in-depth plot? Or is it really late and you're, it's kind of sandbox and it's left more to the players now who are used to like being brought from like with me. I've got not, I've got six stops. Here's your map. I'll see you at the end. Versus like Thorne throws out the sandbox and like, okay, so here you are. Go. Where Still are you going? dark and serious sandbox. <laughs> yeah, I'm we have here. Genocide so. going on, human sacrifice. I wouldn't call it light. <laughs> so it's a dark, gritty sandbox. Yes. Is it gritty? I guess. I guess any sandbox has to be Made gritty. Made of volcanic right? ash. Yes. yes. <laughs> 
you know, it's funny. I don't try to make a specifically gritty game because I think of gritty as like, you know, everyone's dying all the time. And I don't know. I don't feel like I make it quite like that. But I do want a You're game close. where the players are a little more viscerally connected to what they're doing. You know, I don't want a game where it's just like, oh, we're flying over the land. Where I want a game where it's like, OK, so how do you pitch your tent? Like you make camp. How do you make sure you don't get killed making camp? This sword's not as good as that sword because it's not made as well. You know, it's like, especially at low levels, I like to have that kind of verisimilitude where it's a little more, I don't think it was gritty. I think it was more as like a little more historically accurate, mm. even though we're talking a fantasy game, but just, just a little more tied into the actual experience that these characters are going through before we get to the higher levels. Or once you're past level 10, then everything turns to fantasy, but I want those lower levels to be more, a little more, well, this is how you live as an adventurer in this time before we get to, okay, now you're on airships and flying dragons and shit like that. Well, I mean, you know, nothing wrong with any number of takes. It's just tougher for the players to, you know, shift gears for that. And I think that could be one of the player challenges from that. And of course, there's got to be a degree, like we're talking boundaries when, you know, different players are taking over. Well, you know, like one thing I did differently than Chris. Now, when I introduced my system for ability score leveling, which is how the Marvel system works, I did bounce that off of Chris first. I didn't, like, just throw that out there cold and say, ta-da, here's this great shit, and make him look like the asshat. It's like, no, Jesus Christ, no, we're not using that. So, uh-huh. he, did, so he did have advanced warning on this. He did, he did get, the, get some input on this, and I did a story reason why it was functioning outside of the normal system operations. But... How we structure rewards, he's closer to a more traditional version, and I'm I look at it more like as because our time is so limited, I have to cover a lot of ground in terms of story and reward simultaneously. Those are shorter games by nature, so it is tougher to fit everything you want to fit in those. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and I understand the argument for the D, for the Marvel system. They're like, look, how much has Captain America changed in the last thirty episodes as far as his powers? Not a whole lot. That's super fair. Is that fun for you in an RPG? Because there's a difference. There's a big yeah. difference in how a character reads in a, in a comic book versus how your character is playing throughout a game. Yeah, and definitely. and I feel like you're, if you're not if the character is physically not advancing in some way, you're losing one of those dimensions of reward. I guess, you know, we've been talking about this for a while, but I do want to get to one last. We, I still think we feel like we've answered the question of, OK, so how do you fix the communication problem? And make sure that if you're co-DM, if you're DMing across, you know, characters that are in multiple games, how do you keep it balanced? I mean, we've touched on it, but like, what do you actually do? Because it's, it's not exactly a session zero question. That's between you and your character and your players. So how do you kind of manage this with the other DMs? Well, that's got to, got to be a, a kind of, you know, off-screen conversation needs to take place there. You know, um, like, for example, like if I started co-DMing Dave's game, especially in the first half of that, I wouldn't understand that. I probably honestly wouldn't give it any treasure out. That's because, no, no seriousness, because all of his treasure was really tied into points in the story. Like when you found something in Dave's game, it was part of the story. Like he went to this destroyed abbey, and after you dealt with all the horrible monsters and traps and curses there, there was something, because that's the flavor of that game. In Woodstock, I don't know. I wouldn't have. I, I feel like that's more fair game. Mm. Like I, I would have felt that if I threw out some normal magical items, I wouldn't have expected some pushback on that. But if then again, if you're there's the problem. If both of you are now playing in my game, I'm trying to do this without spilling the beans. I would say in Woodstock, I don't mind magic items. I just gave out a bunch of legendary ones. It's the 
kind of when you start getting off script into the boons and stuff, work Those is a little different. Three you know? accursed attunements. Ugh. Yeah, and that's a, that's <laughs> part of it too that we kind of we kind of stumbled upon in the Woodstock game because we haven't really thought about it, but the idea of the boundedness of attunements as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can give out all the magic items you want. Now make your choices. Um, not everything needs to attune. I mean, no, but not you're right. Yeah. But I actually, yeah, but Beam had to go through and see. Okay, what do I need here? <laughs> Actually, I don't love the attunement rule. Like, I mean, like, but maybe it's just because that's like I'm old school. Like, giving out magic items is part of the for me is as big a part of the reward system as the giving out XP and leveling is. It is, so, but it's it, it you didn't have the same level of abilities that build in the character as well it, back in the day where the magic items were what created that that heft of the character. So you had to give that stuff out because that was the only way they weren't going to die. Now, even with, you know, just a kind of a random, random magic weapon, you're going to still get pretty powerful as you level up in 5e, as we've seen. Um, Yeah, I I totally get why they did that. Am I a fan of that particular rule? I'm not like, you know, dancing and and singing about it in the streets. No, (laughs) but Let's be honest, if you played first and second edition, you had one character with 11 magic items. And that was at least ear, and that's medium. I mean, you know, I got I had, a, I had an earring of protection at one point. I mean, <laughs> players like used to bitch. They can only wear two rings. They're like, I got 10 fingers. I'm going to wear 10 rings. And then my toes. Don't get me started. I'm going to collect 20 rings. Yeah. Oh, my no, God. No, those, were, those were some great times. In fourth edition, they got a little crazy with it and said, okay, you can have whatever magic items you want. <laughs> chuckle, chuckle. But here's the <laughs> joke. If you want to use the cool power on it, that's based on your tiers. So your Paragon tier guy could use twice. He could use two cool powers, and that's it. Then you're dry. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Yeah, twice. Or if you're heroic tier, once. So I, I think it should be, I mean, if you were more than three, I would say that's got to go up by tiers, but that's where it stands. So as far as this conversation goes, I mean, what do you talk about with the other DM? Just, okay, you cool with this? Can I do this? Or what's going to ruin your game? And what do you think about as far as when you agree to it or not? Um, I got to say like, hey, what, I mean, you know, like, where's your philosophy with treasure? Like, where, where, where's your head with this? And then I'll try to stay in line with that if I'm dancing back and forth. And if he's like, hey, this is a low, dark, difficult to acquire a magical item world then you know maybe i shouldn't throw out the plus three wounding sort of dancing maybe i mean maybe that's a little excessive or would i should drop the cloud giant girdle of strength would, what, about, that, what about on the boon side would you not do the boons just to just to save uh, the drama so yeah i probably would not because the boons that are available in ravenloft were also very plot specific yeah and i think part of the tension in ravenloft was that you are low magic. So that if I start juicing the freaking characters with like as Galactus gives the Silver Surfer power and transforms into something awesome, which would amuse me, then, you know, the whole, you know, monster mash starts to unravel. Well, and that's why, I mean, we're not, we're not co-DMing any, any of our D&D games. The only thing that we are doing is the Marvel game. And that's just a completely different system uh, so the way in which you can build those rewards, I think, is different. So some of it's probably going to have to do with the system. Um, but in terms of the D&D world, I don't I, I don't personally know if you can really co-DM uh, something unless you're doing very episodic. Um, 
Well, I've well, done maybe, it before. Maybe you, yeah, you just jump in and do a little one shot with the group, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, I mean the, um, the All Star game Tony's about to run. You know that could still those characters. Like I don't know, you know, assuming we, we've used Little One as an example, Little One's in Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Little One may be in this game. How does that impact what Tony gives and what can come in in Curse of Strahd? Like I mean, would Dave, would you prefer that anything he gives out on that game not come into Curse of Strahd just because of how? It would be, as I said earlier, specifically regarding that, it would very much depend on what it is. You Swords know? for everybody. Yeah, it just depends on what it is, you know, because again, it's like, the world eh, has, it gives it to a random passerby. <laughs> yeah, this, the world in the Strahd campaign has opened up uh, greatly. So a lot of things are going to change. It's going to probably be much more of a, a high fantasy type setting because the whole point was Barovia was in its own thing. Uh, so you couldn't give out a lot of magic, even if you one shot it, because where's it coming from? You know, it just, you know, appears. <laughs> so this, this is this is full, you know, full, full, full disclosure here. This is the game where we are about to play the first, quote unquote, wide open Ravenloft game this Friday, I believe. Yes. 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 So we're going to find out. And I'm I'm betting, you know, my bet is we see a jangling cart rolling in through the mist. First <laughs> thing, it's Elios's magic emporium. Oh, you that'd be wonderful. In, <laughs> with that said, with that said, before we we get close to probably uh, uh, wrapping things up here, I did want to get your guys' thoughts on. So we talked a lot about sharing players. What about because my big thing, especially in the D and D campaign, and what I talk about when I talk about Tomb and Storm Kings and and the Strahd group, is sharing NPCs. Like you bring up Elios, right? Yeah. Like I absolutely have plans. You know, spoilers here utilizing Elios. So in the same way, what are the types of things that you want to communicate? Because I think you should communicate to the person who brought that NPC into the world, breathed life into them. Like, what are the types of things you want to check in on, you know, to say like, hey, is this cool? Or how far can I take this? Especially if it's someone that's going to exist in other games, you know? Dave's just that meme of the monkey stealing a hubcap and running away with it at full yeah. speed. Like, yoink, this is mine now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, that's the tricky thing. Uh, I, I'd probably give you some, you know, I, I'd, I'd give you some notes. And, you know, it's just kind of a matter of personality, I guess, you know, because you don't want him being, you don't want a character kind of being overly verbose or friendly or giving deals if on your end they're supposed to be stoic and stern <laughs> they don't talk very much well, of course you know yeah. you know i don't want gadanafwa showing up as the friendly squid monster in someone else's game unless we've totally tamed him which is not entirely off the table i also want him showing up as just like kind of like you know starro from the suicide squad yeah. rambling through <laughs> someone's town because he's a much bigger thing than that right i mean there's something like there, there's, there's dangerous what are you talking about he was, but he didn't break the earth. I mean, I actually, I actually loved Starro in the in the Suicide Squad. I thought that was awesome to see that on TV. He took down the Justice uh, League more than once. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you know you could do notes. There is, there are when. So I work in the in the content world, and when you're when you're writing content for someone, they will often give you brand guidelines. All right, here's our guidelines. Here's how you can talk about it. Here's how you can use our name. Here's how you can. Here's how we refer to things. You could, I mean, if it's if it's kind of a serious character, a big deal in their campaign, you could just give them some brand, like a brand guide on yeah. who that guy is. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd just be like, yeah, just, you know, sure, go ahead. You know, just, uh, you know, he, he, I think of him like this and like try to tie that in. 
you know, don't, don't get him totally off base. But then again, it's in your, if it's in a different world, maybe he's a different guy in your world. This is his other brother, Daryl. <laughs> well, I mean, there's two ways to go about that. I could throw you like his bio. I mean, Storm King's Thunder is over essentially. So I'm, I don't have immediate plans to use that NPC in one of my games, although I kind of feel like I missed an opportunity to maybe, there was no way I could sneak him into this one shot. So that's totally clear. <laughs> However, um, and I, especially then if you guys are all going back to your campaign world, that's really going to start making shit weird. But, or sometimes in the past, we've allowed uh, other DMs to handle their own NPCs where I'd say, okay, mm. I'd be running a game and I'm like, Luke, I need to talk to Lord Soth. And then I'd make him switch uh, his you. character into, into yeah. that. That's actually that's actually a really good that point. That's a good very, idea. Yeah, very cool. They just would have to get a sense of what what is your uh, goal. Yeah, what's your goal here, right? Yeah. So yeah. still a little bit of communication, as Tony says, off screen. It'd be funny if you're like you have the party going to Lord Soth to like to to in order to get a clue about where something is, and the way the player plays it was like, fuck you, go home, defeat me in one on one combat, right? Telling you shit. The Black Knight always triumphs <laughs> and he would yes no but i think it's a good question especially if that's what you're thinking of doing and bringing in kind of npcs from other games you know it's just you can always kind of just kind of ask them hey i'm thinking about doing this and how would how would that npc react to that yeah well it's like people who bring in you know elminster or morning canaan or you know whatever <laughs> something like that <laughs> strad <laughs> or strad yes i mean good lord how many people have played strad they're a little different though, because you are playing within your own campaign world. But That's like, for instance, you shared. like you just created your own version of this person and use use the name. You know, that's yeah, a little different because it's not a shared. Uh, it's not like the person like in the Marvel game. Like, if we meet Nick Fury, he's the same guy. Like, he can't be a different Nick Fury <laughs> when other people meet him. You know. Why not? He's a different Nick Fury already in the movie. Yeah, David like, Hasselhoff and Captain Marvel. Yeah, you can't meet David Hasselhoff and then fucking Sam Jackson. Like that's not gonna that be funny. Have you not uh, seen Enter the Spider Verse? Yes, you can. <laughs> totally different. That's that's the multiverse. Different, different, different. All right. So we've been going on for a little bit. What are your final thoughts on DMing characters in shared universes or NPCs? If I am running a game in the same world as another dm who's uh primarily running it or sharing it back and forth like perhaps they hold the main plot and i am running one-offs to give them a break from or like we just change some things up i think it'd be best to have a really clean understanding of certain expectations on uh rewards treasure uh i also like to throw out there don't mess with the following npcs because they're tied to my plot like, just right up front. And I've, I've run into problems with that, where the guy's like, you know, maybe, you know, Thorne's running that. And I'm like, I'm going after the Archduke. I'm like, no, we're not doing that this week. <laughs> Forget about it. Uh, also, as far as where we are in terms of treasure and homebrew, especially if that's going, like, if you have characters jumping between games, so that, like, for example, if Phineas jumped into... Uh, a one-off I was doing and then he was going back into Dave's game, then I think there should be a general understanding of what's okay for him to move back into that game if he's keeping that reward. Is he going to keep that reward? Is that something that's just going as a footnote in their sheet? I'd prefer to give him the reward so it can't be anything that's too screwy. And if possible, maybe it's something they take, they bring back that's a reward for their, for their group 
so they're not getting some real preposterous advantage off screen. It's true. And final thought is, yeah, really, like I really wouldn't level anybody in that kind of situation too, because it's like, yeah, like hey, you had an adventure, and now I'm level fourteen, and you suckers are level thirteen. <laughs> That's gonna cause problems. Yeah, definitely not leveling people, but uh, as the ode to polyamorous behavior, my girlfriend's girlfriend taught us in the beginning of this episode from Typo Negative. Rest in peace, Pete Steele. Um, you need if you're going to start sharing players, you or sharing NPCs or whatever, you need to set some ground rules. You need to have communication uh, is key. Uh, you need to have some respect amongst all the people involved. Um, but that's kind of what we've been talking about here is understand what you're doing in your game or if you're using the player in another game, talk. And you don't necessarily, as Thorin has said, you don't have to bring it in to your campaign, especially if it's a longer running campaign, one-offs, a couple night adventure. Those are different than a long running campaign that's a good three years in now. Uh, that it has played very close to 5e Raw uh, as much as, as uh, Thorin could humanly do uh, with his will to, you know, create God and Alpha. Aside so, from the human sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, like, there at some point you're going to have to start over. Like, at some point in Strahd, I had to have a big loot drop, you know, and I gave him nine levels of, of garbage uh, treasure, and then finally, you know, things started to change. I love my bottle opener. Come on. But, um... <laughs> My decanter of, uh, of of endless water. Yeah, there was one of those. Uh, just decanter. I think it's a, something else, but it's, it's a decanter yeah. of something. The ewer, yeah. The ewer, so it's ewer, yeah. yeah. I think there were several of those, actually, through the adventure for no reason. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, communication is really the key thing, though, uh, because things can really become uh, very screwy, especially in 5e, in terms of power. Uh, and that can not only affect gameplay, it can, as I said a couple of the examples it can affect the players too like they just feel a little like why am i even why am i even here if i'm being just outshone so all right uh for me i guess you know the more i think about it there's two there's two kinds of sharing players there is the this player's in a long-running campaign and hops out for a one shot or another campaign uh and comes back into the long-running campaign in which case as the dm in the, of that long-running campaign i would want the ability to uh, yay or nay, anything coming in from the other campaign. So I would want the player to keep those rewards separate, and I would want the player to understand that, look, just because you got something in this other game doesn't mean it comes into this game. Uh, I also I do like to keep everyone at the same level, so that's that makes it a little tricky. It does make it hard in another game to do certain kinds of rewards. But, you know, if they're giving them, like, magic items at a level appropriate, I'm probably not going to complain. You know, if it's a boon that, get, that you know if, if you wind up proficient in four saving throws and you know you're no longer afraid to get hit by the monk's stun and you want to wrestle the dragon it's a little different <laughs> i'm not afraid of monks they don't exist in my world <laughs> except for the one you're playing which is in chris's world that is different though than i think if you're going in knowing you're sharing this campaign setting like say you're running a western marchers type campaign where different people are trading off DMing. i think there you can make the agreement and it might be as simple as, look, just whatever they, this guy gives them, you're going to roll with it. Because I think if I'm in a Western Marches campaign and Tony was giving those kind of boons, I think I would just roll with that. I don't think I would. That's, have yeah, that's built that. that's built into a system like that. Yeah. yeah well, 
but the balance isn't necessarily. So, I mean, do you need to have a conversation ahead of time of how quickly do we advance these guys? Or do you just kind of go, okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's go with that. Kind of like we have, which is kind of what you've done in the Marvel universe. Mm. You know, no one's rolling back anyone's anything anyone gave them, even if it makes certain things, certain pl- characters really, really stop powerful. That's been a problem with that. So I think that's, those are two different things. And that's the way I want to handle it. You know, if it's my universe and someone hops out to do something else and comes back into my universe, I want to have veto power for what they bring in. If it's a shared universe, and we all know it's a shared universe. Well, then I'm going to be, you know, we're all working together is the way I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to approach that. And otherwise, I think, you know, I think you can do it. Definitely people have done it. And I think it could be a lot of fun. You know, the Marvel universe is a shared universe has been a lot of fun. It's just, you know, maybe like Dave, Dave said, communication, you know, respect. And uh, you just, 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 you know, understand what the rules are. Ground rules. <laughs> Gotta set the ground rules. Set the ground rules and stick with them. Don't try to change the ground rules mid-game. That's not okay. <laughs> That's it for me tonight, guys. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking about this. A little, uh, went to a weird spot maybe in the beginning there. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Thank you for following us down all these rabbit holes for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, we have been. We yeah, we've definitely been down a lot of rabbit holes. It's, it's, it's been a very, uh, been a very Alice in Wonderland kind of episode, I think. <laughs> Good stuff. And thank you all for sticking with us at home. We appreciate it. You know, this is a, a question we were dealing with on our end that we thought maybe you'd be dealing with. We want to talk about it. However, we'd love to hear about the problems you have in your own game and talk about them. That's awful what we do for an episode. So if you have a question you'd like to hear us ask, please send it into threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com, put it in the what's your problem field or talk to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're active on all those places and we're always looking for, yeah, looking for questions we can answer and things we can help other DMs out with. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star rating in your podcast platform of choice. Tell your friends, share it. All that stuff helps us grow. We really appreciate it. And we'll catch you next week on the next episode of Three Wise DMs. Thank you.